everyone, and welcome back to the Internet Reports Pulse Update, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss what's up, what's down, what's working and not working, and generally keep our finger on the pulse of how the internet is holding up week over week. This week we're chatting about some data center focus outages that impacted Square, Oracle OCI, NetSuite and Microsoft Azure, and the lessons they leave us. And joining me to discuss all this this week is Bernie Claremont, my good friend, colleague, senior solutions engineer at Thousand Eyes, an all-round nice guy. Bernie, welcome to the Pulse Update podcast. Thanks, Mike. Happy to help out covering the outages this week. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. I watch the uh, Pulse Update all the time. Fantastic. Long time, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Uh, so, exactly. <laughs> so let's start with the download. My TLDR summary of what to know about the internet this week in a few minutes or less. So in a world that operates at hyperscale, the potential for hyperscale size problems is also very real. And the measure of a good provider and a well-engineered system is how well they handle these anomalous conditions and minimize this disruption. So during these recent weeks, we saw some of these hyperscale outages play out. When we talk about hyperscale, we're talking about the, the, the size and the duration of it. Um, so these included some data center focus disruptions that impacted companies like Square, Oracle OCI, NetSuite, and Microsoft Azure. So let's take a quick look at these outages and the lessons they leave. On September the 8th, contactless payment terminal and service provider Square experienced back-end connectivity issues that led to businesses being unable to process transaction. The disruption hit multiple Square services globally and took about 18 and a half hours to remediate completely. Square has taken a number of steps to guard against future issues, including expanding offline payment capabilities. Backup systems processes like this are critical for minimizing the impact of outages, and this is a good reminder for companies to think creatively about what backup solutions they should have in place. We'll discuss this square outage further later in the episode. Uh, but moving on, a recent data center related outage in Sydney, Australia, affected Microsoft Azure, Oracle OCI and NetSuite and some others uh, with disruptions lasting around 13 to 46 hours. The cause, lightning. 10,000 lightning strikes recorded over a two hour period in Sydney, Australia, as severe storms hit on August 30. The data center was one of the buildings impacted by the lightning strike. The strike caused a voltage fluctuation to the main power feed that set off a series of events that led to servers being either gracefully shut down or failing due to thermal damage. And the recovery actually took a while and it was a painstaking process. So while companies can't 100% guard against unexpected weather events like this, there are steps they can take uh, uh, in advance to sort of mitigate the impact. Microsoft, for example, has increased the size of the overnight team and revisiting its documented emergency operating procedures so the processes are faster to execute uh, in a large-scale outage event such as this. So stay tuned for more on this outage later in the episode. Marketing automation service provider MailChimp encountered unspecified data center issues on September the 6th that impacted its global user base and also experienced further issues the following day. On both occasions, the explanation was connection issues, meaning the instance could be related, perhaps signaling a configuration change attempt and a rollback on a back-end system, followed by a second attempt the next day. And finally, switching gears a bit from data center focus outages, we also wanted to uh, discuss a disruption experienced by NATS, the UK air traffic control provider. A major systems failure on August 29th uh, led to hundreds of flight cancellations in the UK and a flow on impact lasting days. The root cause was a flight plan processing subsystem was unable to handle an anomalous condition. The condition triggered a critical exception in the primary system that led a backup system being engaged. However, as the backup was a replica of the primary, it encountered exactly the same exception at exactly the same point, and the backup system itself shut down too. So Nat said the steps have been taken to ensure the incident cannot be repeated. These include automated detections for the specific condition, enhanced monitoring, and training engineers and operators in prompt remediation techniques. 
So as always, we've included chapter links in the description box below so you can skip ahead to sections that are most interesting to you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, we'd love if you take a minute or two to hit subscribe button now. It really helps us out and also make sure that you're the first to know when a new episode drops. So please feel free to email us at theinternetreport at thousandeyes.com. We always welcome your feedback and questions, any ideas you got to improve the show. And now let's take a look at the overall outage trends we've been seeing. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a shift in outage trends that's likely linked to the end of the Northern Hemisphere summer. Though summer technically isn't over until the autumnal equinox on September 23rd, with the school year starting, for all intents and purposes, the main summer season has come to a close. So during the Northern Hemisphere summer, outages happen to reflect seasonal lows we've seen in previous years, uh, which we can hypothesize are results of reduction in maintenance and engineering work over the period. However, the end of the summer season coincided with an upper trend in global outages over the two-week period from August 28th to September 10th. During this period, outages initially rose from 129 to 164, which are a 27% increase when compared to August 21st to 27th. And this was then followed by a 12% increase the following week, with observed outages rising from 164 uh, to 184. Yeah, Mike, I mean, I, I definitely see, you know, the end of the summer phenomenon, you know, it pretty much occurs. You know, it definitely could explain some of the upward trend we're seeing globally. You know, and if you look at those numbers, that similar trend in the U.S. occurs, the U.S. centric outages, you know, they've risen from, you know, 63 to 66, um, a 5% increase compared to August 21st to the 27th. And, you know, then they're rising again next to, you know, from 66 to 91, a 38% increase. I mean, I think some of this is obviously weather related. Some of it's just, you know, people doing maintenance, right? I mean, they're able to do road work, things like that. Backhoe Joe digs up, you know, fiber, things like that happen. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, we, we put it there and we're definitely seeing this similar pattern uh, both globally and in the US. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's definitely that Northern Hemisphere thing, like you say, you come across there. And actually, I didn't think about that, that conditions that we can actually then go and start to repair the roads and, and sort of look around from there. So on another note, I also think it's helped to look at what percent of the global outages uh, were US-centric. So from August 28th to September the 10th, the US-centric outages accounted for 45% for observed outages. Now, this is the same percentage we observed uh, between August 14th and, and 27th. So this continues the trend of US-centric outages accounting for at least 40% of all observed outages. Now, this has been the case since April, uh, except during uh, one period between July 31st and August 13th. Yeah, I find it interesting, you know, to see the U.S.-centric outages consistently accounting for 40 percent or more of the outages, you know, just this year. You know, I'll definitely be watching the trend as it continues for the rest of 2023. You know, I definitely think there's a chance that it's going to continue, especially as we think about the weather patterns, the way weather's becoming more severe, those kind of outages affecting just carriers. I know when I was on the carrier side. If you had like rain in Arizona, for example, like the network would just short out and all over the place, right? And so that and wildfires and things like that are definitely causing more effect. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, lightning earlier in the conversation, I think, you know, we're seeing some of those as well that are creating those fires too, so. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting, really, if I look at the outages sort of year over year, typically what I've actually seen it, um, the, the US-centric outages, they, they sort of started up around the 40% um, as we sort of come out from the, I'm talking calendar years there, as we sort of uh, come out from there, and then they sort of sort of drop to the year. And if I look over an average of three years, I, I, I typically see around sort of 39%. So this is the first time in sort of three years where I've seen this over 40% come up there. Now, admittedly, we're looking at um, a lot of the, 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 the major providers are sort of US centric. So this would, would account for it. But it's actually interesting to see this actual number sort of sort of stay high. Um, and, and finally, before we move on, uh, uh, talking about specific outages, 
I also want to recap uh, the month over month trends we're seeing. So first, let's taking a look at August as a whole, which has made up most of the month seeing a downward trend. So as we sort of came out that that uh, that the summer period, we started to see that. Uh, but as we move towards the end, and we move towards the September the fourth uh, Labor Day uh, type situation, which signals the theoretical end to that summer series, uh, season from there, we started to see the global outages sort of come up from there. So looking at total outages for the month of August, the global outages rose from 691 to 727, which is a 5% increase when compared to July. Now this pattern was not reflected in the US, uh, with outages dropping from 308 to 288, which is a 6% decrease. Uh, the thing about all of this is this, this downward trend reflects patterns I have observed in previous years, or we have observed in previous years, across the Northern Hemisphere summer. All right, so now let's discuss some of the outages in the last few weeks as we go under the hood. So as we touched at the beginning of the podcast, on September the 8th, Square experienced issues impacting back-end data center connectivity. Now this led to businesses being unable to process transactions, and this outage also underscores the importance of having backup systems in place and processes uh, to minimize user impact in the event of disruption, but it also leads to other valuable lessons. So let's take a look at that in more detail. The disruption hit multiple Square services and took 18 and a half hours to completely clear, and residual effects may have lasted even longer. The 18 and a half hour timeframe doesn't appear to take into account flow on impacts to fund transfer and other payment processes. Users reported various problems from the terminal connections dropping out to payments appearing to complete but then not showing up in business accounts. Thousand Eyes observed intermittent dropouts in 503 services and unavailable areas. The degradation pattern suggests the root cause may have been an internal routing or, or, or similar back-end system. Square's post-incident report confirms that an issue with the back-end system was indeed the cause. They noted that the outage impacted their DNS and explained that while making several standard changes to their internal network software, the combination of updates prevented their system from properly communicating with each other and ultimately caused a disruption. The issue also affected many of their internal tools for troubleshooting and support, making them temporarily unavailable and potentially a sort of increase in that decrease. So let's take a look at actually what that looks like from a Thousand Eyes perspective. For those listening audio only on the podcast, what we're looking at here is a screen is a view of the outages as seen from Thousand Eyes platform. And I'm going to take you through everything we see on here so you don't miss out. And for those who aren't familiar with Thousand Eyes, Thousand Eyes is a platform that gives you a great view into the entire digital supply chain. We have Thousand Eyes agents across the internet providing us multiple vantage points to see where disruptions are happening at both the network and application server levels. Visibility like this can be especially useful to help operation teams quickly identify and fix issues that come up, in addition to creating uh, mitigation strategies in advance that can enable you to minimize the impact. Okay, so Bernie, so what we're looking at here is I've got Thousand Eyes uh, view up here. I'm actually looking at HTTP server test. And what this is actually doing is actually going and testing to um, an API on Square there. And this actually shows us the complete outage. So I can see the disruption. I'm looking at this from availability. So in this top bar here, where I can actually sort of see these dips is where we sort of saw the, the effect coming on. So we can see the sort of, we're looking here sort of, as in sort of major disruption, is lasting sort of just over eight hours uh, from there. And again, I can sort of see if I actually scan down to the map below, what I can start to see here is I'm actually seeing then this is, uh, um, uh, having global effects. But interestingly enough, what it isn't doing is it's actually not, I'm not seeing something like a follow of the sun. So I'm not seeing it uh, uh, hit different regions at different times, which which to me, or and again, you can correct me on this hypothesis, suggests then this is potentially some sort of uh, um, application issue. So straight away, we can see this is an application issue. Yeah, especially since you're seeing your SSL send receive connect, right? Still, so you're definitely at the app layer. Exactly. 
Yeah, exactly, and that's a good point. So if I should look to that little screen to the left-hand side there, I have effectively what I like to refer to as my sort of OSI 7-layer model. So I can actually see as it goes through the process, so my DNS, my Connect, my SSL from there, and absolutely, as you point out there, we're seeing that from the uh, the, the server side uh, where, we, where we start to go in there. Now, just to verify, we really said we're looking at from an application point of view. If I actually see the path themselves, again, I can start to see that I'm actually not seeing any disruption. So I've actually just changed the screens so I can actually now look in the path view. And I can see sort of no degradation coming through. I can't see any loss, can't see any significant latency, or nothing that's actually significant enough to sort of suggest where we're having those availability problems for the particular service. So I'm actually looking there across all my vantage points and I can see sort of the network components. Now, one of the errors we started to get up from there, uh, we're actually saying where well, we saw that, we saw on sort of 503. So to actually get a real depth to see what that looks like, what I'm actually going to do is to flick to a, um, a page load test so we can actually see what's happening there. And gonna... this definitely, that previous layer really is where the network engineers can kind of drop the mic and say, this is not our problem, this is an application issue. <laughs> exactly. And they're doing, that's 100% right now, the old times, this is not mine, we can do it there. But they can do it with context. So they can say, it's not my problem, and here it is. I mean, you talked about when you were on the carriers before, I've been on the other side of the phone, when someone's phoned me up um, and they said, you know, we have got an issue there, and go, okay, let me take a look. Yep, no, can't see anything there. <laughs> and we sort of move on. Exactly. But here, they can pass it on with context. There is no network problem here, and then we can go into the application. That's a, and a great segue, so let's take a look at that from a page load point of view. We're not necessarily looking at the application, but what we're looking at here, and this is an important part of Thousand Nights, we're able to see how the application uh, integrates or interacts with the network component itself. So how does the application impact relevant to the network, and how does the network impact the application? So in this case, we've already identified that there's nothing going on at the network layer or nothing significant enough to actually cause this. So let's have a look at that, what we come from an application. So here I haven't got the full outage. I'm actually looking at it part way through. So because I happen to be actually online and watching this when it occurred, uh, so we're able to see what was happening. So what I'm looking at here from is, a, is a page load. So whereas before I was looking at it, if you like, from layer four of the OSI, I'm looking at uh, HTTP um, uh, level, that, that, that connect availability, you can see from there. Here I'm actually looking a little bit further. So I'm actually seeing how does that page look like or what would a page look like? Now remember we said this was multiple square services. So here we're actually starting now to look at a particular one. So I'm actually looking at something that would emulate effectively that connect system. So if it's coming from a payment system, what's some of the processes it go through? Even though I'm looking at it from a browser page point of view, it gives me an indicative view of what's happening there. So straight away, we're actually looking, I've actually, you know, here's one I prepared earlier. I'm actually looking at Sydney to see across there. So again, straight away, I'm looking at page load. A couple of things that sort of want to point out here is, is first of all, I'm actually seeing this page complete in places. So again, the, the, the darker blue line that shows there is actually showing my Sydney um, agent, what that looks like from that point of view, whereas the, the, the solid in the background there shows my average one there. So I can see, you know, I'm actually sort of peaking up um, somewhere around sort of three seconds, uh, four, four seconds, five seconds to complete uh, this particular transaction. So this is showing me before. So this is actually a good period when everything was happening right, everything was working, and this is when the outage is occurring. So I've gone straight into when the outage is occurring or the issue is occurring, I should actually say. And what I wanted to do was quickly just jump into the waterfall. Now, the reason I want to sort across here is because there's a couple of things. We've talked about this in previous podcasts, um, is, is where 
if we're looking at um, availability is one thing, uh, but if I'm actually then looking to see, I can actually get to a page, but is it actually functioning, or I can get to a service, is it actually functioning correctly? It may well be that I have a page load time. And this is good because it tells me then, okay, you know, it's another clue to tell me that it's not on the network. This is, tells me I've, I've got something within the application itself. But if I then go down to see how that page is rendering across from there, I can start to see, well, that look, it actually looks quite good. I can start to see things uh, occurring there. But if I just search on a particular domain, as I said, I know this because I've actually been through earlier and had a look at this. So I actually go and put in, if I can actually spell. So I'm actually doing a search on a specific domain. And what I actually see there, as I come start to three, and I start to see these 503s. So there's a couple I want to focus on here. Now, one's actually going to change its state. So, and just for you, first of all, I just throw to you, Bernie, there. When we see a 503, um, typically to me, that uh, what I'm actually looking at there, or what I see when I see a 503, is um, a, a service unavailable, service unavailable, which is something I'm getting back from the server, which indicates I've got communication to that. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Something's something's broken somewhere, and it means it's on the backside. Brilliant, great. So I can see here. There's two things here. So the status is interesting, and I won't go into what the status is. But basically, this is a little check that actually just says, okay, is this 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 um, system up and going, right? So I have authentication to actually. Sorry, am I? Am I connected to the system so I can start to do things on my transactions? But the other one I want to sort of focus on there is, is a little, little check that goes through, and um, this is really just denoting the country. So when you go onto the connection, where am I connecting through? Now, this is important because it's going to direct things to the back-end payment systems. So again, I'm coming from Australia, uh, from Sydney here. So what I'm actually going to do is say, your locale is Australia, and they'll actually redirect the, 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 the system there. So I can see I'm actually failing here. So I'm actually, this service is unavailable. I'm getting 503s from there. Yeah, and typically, like you'll have a gateway that'll be unavailable on the API side that re responds with those things to kind of start to point people in the right direction. Which is this. This is great because you can see the components, which is really nice. E exactly. Yeah. So, so if I was then to go back and I look at this um, pre the outage. So if I actually look at this and let's say sort of. Uh, this time when they all align, so 1500 UTC. So I've actually gone back and I'm looking there. And again, I'm going to keep that same search on there. So now there's a couple of things here. So, and this is just the way the test actually structured. So if I'm actually looking there, I can start to see that this is, um, uh, I'm getting, now getting a 401, which not which is unauthorized, because this means that I actually don't have it. I'm really just doing a test as actually testing this connect system. But one of these is a different code. So I'm actually getting to the system and it's now telling me it's unauthorized. But then if I actually go down to the detect country, I can see I'm getting a 200 OK. So coming back, so it knows I'm in Australia and it's connected it. Um, and that's that's kind of interesting. So so straight away, OK, yeah, again, this is another one of your mic drop moments. So I can say, even as a network engineer, here it is, here's a problem. I can't communicate with these backend systems. Over to you. I was just doing an AFL hand pass there to, to, to pass it back. Exactly. And then just for the, we, we saw this sort of fluctuating up and down and it was impacting multiple services. And then really just to sort of just to go in there, if I sort of clear that search down and dump straight in then to the, um, when it was actually failing, I could see, right, okay, I've actually failed at this point to sort of connect to the main area there. So I've actually gone right down. So this is a 503. So again, we're talking about failure to connect to everything from there.
Yeah, I've also seen like time drops like that when somebody puts a maintenance page up, for example, to say their site's in maintenance and having the page load actually gives you the element that says that with the maintenance page information, which is really super helpful to know that, hey, this site was under maintenance. We purposely did this or we threw the maintenance page up while we're fixing what's broken. That's a really good point. That is really excellent. This goes into talking about sort of the processes and, and the things you have around from there. So, you know, if it's failing, let's not fail to a condition where nothing happens. Because again, these people were running these systems. They weren't aware there was a necessary issue. You know, some of them weren't connecting and the workaround was to turn it off and back on again. Um, uh, you know, the initial suggestion before they identified what was going on or what the problem was. The other thing that compounded this or the other problem they had, and they mentioned this in their, their, their post report, was they actually couldn't get to some of their internal tools. So they may well have identified it pretty quickly. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they did going into that first area. It's just a long sort of um, uh, time for disruption. But they were struggling to get to sort of the back end systems, which implies they were kind of using some of the same connection methods or it's a, something fundamental sort of broken with that connectivity. So the tools used to monitor or used to identify or to remediate the problem, they couldn't actually get to those systems to uh, affect the, the, the change. That's like the old Facebook outage that happened last year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Had the exactly. same problem. <laughs> It's that, that the, the time we get there, we know it's there. It's um, yeah, yeah, and I, I, I sympathise with them. I've actually been through that same problem myself. I, I, the minute I press return on a router configuration, I just realise okay, there was a problem there. But at that point, my router was away, sort of twelve thousand miles away. I couldn't get to it. I had to take time to phone someone up. What I need you to do is to power cycle that device to get across there. <laughs> so it's just really interesting. You know, it's something to bear in mind as we move more and more into this digitized world, um, you know, where everything's remote. I'm in Australia. I'm sort of connecting in, control the world from my desktop. But there's times where I need to have backup systems. If that, my main link goes down, I need to be able to get in across there. So in terms of when we're identifying faults and we're going through this process, we're seeing what's happening. One of the key attributes you need to sort of build back into that system is the ability to recover quickly. Um, and, and that may mean having backup systems, which might be dial up, it might be uh, written processes that, that, that you, you, where you um, say power cycle devices, or you call in engineers from a different area to, to actually sort of resolve that because they're local. So all these things, it's not just this system of, of um, in, a, in, a, in the event of an issue, this is the action it takes, uh, automated. These, it has to include people and process, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I think you know having an out-of-band management system that's well documented is really critical because truck rolls are really expensive. And like you said, you know, I mean, yeah. if that happened at two in the morning and you're calling somebody at two, and then you've got to get them up, and then they got to get in their truck and they have to drive, you know, maybe an hour to get to wherever that location is. That's that's a lot of downtime. So you really have to mitigate your risk associated with with these things and have plans in place to to you know make sure you can get access Absolutely. if things go sideways because. Something's going to break sometime. <laughs> exactly, exactly. In those situations, Bernie, I'll just phone you because, mate, every time I look on, you're always online. So I know you're always up and ready to go. <laughs> always on. <laughs> always on. As mentioned at the top of the show, on August 30th, a lightning storm hit a data center in Sydney, causing significant outages for Oracle OCI, NetSuite, and Microsoft Azure. The incident was particularly hard felt because the facility appears to be shared space, home to Azure, Oracle OCI, NetSuite, and some others. 
It took around 46 hours to fully recover Azure services. NetSuite access was down for 13 hours and Oracle Cloud infrastructure took 29 hours to be fully restored. Other SaaS platforms were also out during the same timeline and were likely due to the same data center incident, though only Azure, Oracle OCI, and NetSuite uh, have published detailed post-inter reports as far as we can see. From these various post-inter reports, a, a composite picture has emerged. The strike caused a, a, a voltage fluctuation to the main power feed uh, that in turn tripped the safety mechanisms on the, on the facility's chillers for a variety of reasons, uh, a lack of staff late at night, uh, complex restart procedures, the amount of tubs had to bring back on, and technical problems with the chillers themselves, nor all the cooling capacity could be brought back online. From there, ambient temperature on the, on the uh, data floors rose, servers were either gracefully shut down to prevent damage and reduce load on the functional chillers or failed due to thermal damage. And then this made for a recovery was a painstaking process. So let's actually dive in and sort of see what we actually saw there. So what I've done, I've actually gone now into Internet Insights. So what Internet Insights is, is, is basically it's a, a, a correlation, anonymization of all that data that we sort of collect. So we're talking billions of measurements across from here. And what that allows us to do is to be able to see this composite picture of the health of the Internet that's happening from there. So what I've actually done, I'm actually looking at sort of the disruption. Now I can actually sort of see the disruption in patterns. I've actually got this looking down from Australia. Here I can get, I'm focused on looking at the Oracle and, uh, and uh, Microsoft uh, components. Now, why I wanted to do that was quickly to be able to identify where this problem is happening. Although I can actually sort of see uh, on the left-hand side here, I can see my uh, my vantage points where I'm actually coming from to sort of test this connectivity. I can see a number of the service providers coming through. I can actually start to see sort of the, the connectivity in from there. But if I actually then look to see you know, where these were um, located, I now start to see this commonality. So I can see Australia, uh, Sydney, Australia, Sydney, Australia for both Oracle and Microsoft. And what that actually then starts to tell me is this is looking in the same place. So I can see disruption and I can see it was 100% packet loss coming through from there. So drilling right down in this case into the Oracle one, I can start to see the various interfaces coming in and there's no path to my other backend systems, which is what would have had that connectivity, which is then in, in line with what we actually start to see. I was gonna say with OCI, we're starting to see that as kind of like, a lot of people's secondary cloud provider nowadays because it's it's fairly cost effective for them to you know use that as their backup. But having Microsoft and Oracle go down at the same time would mean for some people their primary and their secondary would be offline. <laughs> if you it's decided to host point. it in the same data center. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you, you know it's hosting data center because you might have gone for diversity. So I've actually gone across here, uh, and you know exactly. I've gone with these two different services. So my backup there. It's interesting you say that as well because if you think back to um, uh, there's a Google outage in um, that, that occurred in the data center in Paris. They had they were again all in the same building. So I actually had different availability zones, uh, but that was actually sort of impacting the same area. So this is really interesting as well. Actually, it's a very good point you bring up to identify where my, my traffic actually flows through, and then I can identify where it is. So again, when I'm making my plans to come through from there, I can actually understand what's happening. So yeah, excellent point. Yeah, and having you know Internet Insights um, gives you a full year's worth of data, so you can go back and you know track those outages over a year as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So what I want to do now, so, so we saw that, we see the ashes, we say it sort of ties into there, we know it's a network loss, we can see it's at a building, we see that commonality. What I want to do, Bernie, is actually to throw to you to say, what would this look like from an operational perspective? Let's actually look at this from a Microsoft point of view. Sure, happy to do that. 
So yeah, this is um, this is an operational dashboard created using Internet Insights data. What we've done is we've broken down the Microsoft application outages versus the network related outages, and you can clearly see during this time period, you know, that Mike was showing there. Um, I isolated this dashboard for it, and you can see, you know, from an application side, we're seeing one location in Australia, which was Sydney, and then we're also seeing the ne the network side that there's 12 interfaces. As you come down again from an application side, we can start to see, you know, Office 365 and online. But I think it gets more interesting as as we as we get down to more of the network centric side. So I'll kind of skip yeah. through some of those those pieces. But you can see this big spike here that shows Microsoft having ten interfaces down, and that directly correlate correlates with Australia having ten interfaces down. So you now have taken you know instantly without having to do a bunch of work. You could look at this operational dashboard and tell here's where my problem is. These are why people in Australia are calling me, and they're calling me because Microsoft is having a problem. Um, I mean, obviously, you can drill down. You can start to see, you know, if there's a particular ASN. So if there's an upstream provider that's causing this problem versus Microsoft, you'd be able to see that. Um, and then you could see the affected domain as well. So all this data is, again, right there in Internet Insights. could be easily created into an operational dashboard. So what I love about this, Bernie, is that correlation. Because one of the things we're talking about in terms of context and correlation is being able to line all those things up. So we we're seeing that. So like you say, if, if I'm thinking, you said it earlier brilliantly, is that outages will always happen. We're always going to see outages. And that is that how quickly can we remediate them? We're talking about hyperscale problems. And when we're talking about hyperscale, we're talking about large duration impacts in large users. So to some extent, unless I had all my eggs in one uh, basket, so to speak, in those areas, I'd have had diverse routing around the other area. But how can I get those? But what I would have had was uh, so basically my payload would have shared somewhere else. What I'm saying is that um, if, if, if I identified this area here, one, as you said, I can inform them, but I also know this is specifically where it's happening. Um, and I can take action again to either move for the next time or get it back up quickly. Yeah, and also you, it breaks down the different domains, so you know if it's a particular subset of, you know, that that offering. And so with Microsoft Office 365, for example, you can see, oh yeah, SharePoint's having an issue, and that's why yeah. you know people can't do their their SharePoint workflow, for example, right? Um, exactly, it's a lot of pain in help desk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's the biggest thing. Again, we've mentioned this before on previous podcasts is that um, the biggest thing to me, and I've had this for my customers all over the years, and remembering I'm very old, so I've had lots of customers tell me this, it's not so much that I have a problem, but we want to know what it is. I want to understand where that problem is occurring um, and that you're working on it, you've identified it. It's nothing worse than even having a status page. I mean, even going back to you're talking about when we're talking about Square, the fact that somebody puts a page up, yep, we know we're having a problem, uh, we're working on it. We saw this with um, uh, with Twitter last week. We know we're having a problem. They put the ice cream logo up. I know something's happening there. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yes, I can't use it, but I'm a little bit more appeased than just hitting a blank screen or not knowing it's whether me and just flicking things off and on again. Exactly. And a lot of times it takes a while for that status page to even be generated or for them to get through their workflow to post it. So having instant knowledge from our tests that are live gives you that, you know, one up. Yeah. And that's another good point about the status pages is also they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. So they're, they're essentially going to be back in time to see from there. And even if I get this close to real time. Uh, but what what they are, what they don't do is they're showing everything in isolation. So they don't show that correlation. So they're not telling me that, you know, as you pointed out there, um, Microsoft Online or Microsoft 365 is down for these Sydney users because, or it's not available for these Sydney users that have to go somewhere else because um, 
of uh, this outage within their network. So again, identify where it is. Identifying the problem, quickest way to remediate it and understand here. Absolutely. Now, in, in this case as well, they're also hampered. We talked about the people and process. I'll talk about people and processes there. But it, apparently, again, this is anecdotal. There was issues with them sort of getting up to the roof to fix the chillers and all this added on to there. But, it, but what they're able to do quickly was sort of identify where it was. And this is then where they're taking their steps in the next, the next time. So they've learned from the whole lesson. They identified this is where the problem was because heat issue there. What We can't solve that technically. This is a people problem. So they put more night staff on. Yeah, they might have put another ladder up onto the roof, another access point. I'm not really sure, and we're just there. But it's 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 taking the problem holistically and what's it to to fix it as opposed to how can we fix this with just technology? It's actually looking at this thing as I say holistically. Yeah. So thanks, Bernie. It's it's been an absolute pleasure, and I really hope to have you back on again soon. Mike, always awesome. Pleasure to be here. Happy to help out whenever I can. Great stuff, mate. So that's our show. Please like and subscribe, we really appreciate it, and it's valuable to us. As I mentioned at the top, not only does this ensure that you're notified as soon as a new episode is available, but it really does help us in shaping the show for you. So follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Thousand Eyes, and any questions, feedback, or guests you'd actually like to see on, uh, please send us a note at internetreport at thousandeyes.com. So until next time, goodbye.